I want you to know that I am not the pastor here at River Rock Bible Church. Some of you this morning woke up and you Googled on the internet and you had been praying and thinking about where to go to church and you came to River Rock Bible Church and you saw that picture of Pastor Charlie. And you're going, that picture doesn't comport with the old guy that I'm seeing up on the stage with gray hair. And I want you to know that I am just a fill-in here today. My name's Bill. I uh, live here in Williamson County. I actually serve as a judge. That's what I do professionally. And I, more importantly, uh, am a Christian, and I'm proud of that. I'm not ashamed of that. My faith is a driving force in who I am. I am a part of the leadership here at River Rock. I'm an elder, and our pastor, Charlie, is gone Uh, on sabbatical. Now, I wanted to take just a moment to tell you what sabbatical was and what sabbatical is not. Someone said to me, wow, the pastor's gone on really a long vacation. And I said, sabbatical is not a vacation. Sabbatical is when somebody has served several years in ministry, we give them a time off to renew and to refresh. Does that make sense? So Pastor Charlie and his wife Amanda and their um, four kids, Pastor has triplets that are six or seven-ish, something like that, right? And then one that's, you know, shorter than that. And uh, I don't know how old she is, but she's so cute and has such a high-pitched voice. And uh, and, uh, so they're um, actually away. Our pastor, one of the things that I'm most proud of that we as elders were able to do, now that it's over, I'll tell you what we did for your pastor, is we as a church paid for he and his wife to spend a week or 10 days in Colorado at a private retreat center uh, for ministers and their spouses. And I'm so excited that we and that you have given the church the financial resources to do that. It's important for our pastor to get away and kind of recharge his batteries. Wouldn't you agree? The other day I was at a convention and um, in San Antonio, and they were displaying the new Tesla sedan. And uh, I went by and looked at it, and I really like it because it has a huge flat screen display inside, which just looks like a touchscreen car wreck to me, is what that looks like. You'll get that later. Anyway, they uh, were talking about how the car was proficient, efficient, could go really far and could go really fast, but you had to stop and recharge it. And I just asked a dumb question, like, why don't we build a solar panel into the top of it so it can recharge as it goes, Right. And so they talked about the recharging of the the Tesla car when you applied the brakes through the reverse whatever of that. That helped to recharge the car. But ultimately, you had to stop somewhere and plug it in. And I'm going like, where do you do that at? I mean, do you like stop at a Walmart in St. Marcus on the way to San Antonio? Right? Now, me, I think the godly thing to do would be to stop at Cabela's. Right? Right? Where would Jesus stop and recharge his chariot if he had to plug in and charge somewhere? Cabela's. Right? And if you don't like Cabela's, don't be bitter about it. Go to Bass Pro Shop. We can work a deal. Um, Right? Some of you ladies would think, well, there should be a recharge station at the outlet mall. And I would say to you, no, there's not a recharge station at the outlet mall because we can't afford that. Anyway, I don't know why I brought up the Tesla thing other than I want a, a free drive of a Tesla. They're coming to my house next Sunday. My wife doesn't even know this. They're coming uh, for two hours, and I get to drive one. Unfortunately, the only color they had was maroon color Tesla. 
And uh, for those of you that are, whoop, you'll be excited about that. But for those of us that are Christians, we're a little more uncomfortable <laughs> with that color. And uh, I asked if I uh, had any choice in the color selections for the test drive, and they said, no, you can drive this one or not. I said, fine, I don't mind wrecking a maroon car. Anyway, (laughs) we're so glad that you're here today, and I want to say a special thank you um, to Will and your lovely wife, Beth, right? Is it Beth? You guys, thank you for being here today, filling in for us. Um, Our... uh, Our worship pastor is uh, on vacation um, at this time, and I saw some pictures this morning, very early in the morning. Uh, Stephen was bored and uh, was more concerned with managing this here instead of relaxing where he was at, but he sent us some great pictures of them trout fishing this morning. And uh, because of you guys, um, our, our worship pastor and his wife are on vacation and, and somewhere and uh, trout fishing. But I want to say thank you for being here. Will, I want to tell you as well, too, you know, you uh, these guys met at the University of Maryland Baylor, is that right? And how long have y'all been married now? 16 years. You have two kids, right? How old are the kiddos? 11 and 12. And uh, you guys, you need to know this, that your mom and dad are super cool because they are crusaders, right? Did I get it right? Did I do the C right? So did I get, boy, I got I messed it up the other day on a selfie. I did it with the wrong hand, so it faced me, and it was a backward C. But my wife and I also graduated, be nice. Have you graduated yet? Mm-hmm, yeah, close. All right, so too soon, sorry. All right, so my wife and I are also graduates of the University of Mary Hart and Baylor, and uh, we re- recently celebrated our 34th wedding anniversary, and we met at the University of Mary Hart and Baylor as well, too. Uh, and so Mary Hart and Baylor has a special place in my heart. I, uh, I believe Pastor Charlie and his wife met at the University of Mary Hart and Baylor. So I do want to say this for any of you that perhaps look like me. You're a bit homely and you're wondering if there is a place that you can get married. And the answer is yes. Go to the University of Mary Hardin Baylor. What's the guy-girl ratio now? What's the numbers? It's gone up. It's, it's two to three. Two, two girls to three boys? No. Okay, three girls to two boys. Okay, when I went to the University of Mary Hardin Baylor, the number was 17 girls to one boy. And I needed those odds to get married, right? Some of you understand. Uh, for some of you that are a little concerned about the odds, mm, the odds aren't quite as slanted as they were back then, but still there's a hope for you, right? There's a God that loves you and a university that will help you get your education for only $100,000 and a woman as you walk out the door. <laughs> so I uh, have, uh, and those of, those of you that are guests here today, I, I want to welcome you. I have to tell you, though, I saw some of you walking in and you intimidate the daylights out of me because you're guests here for the first time. And I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm a judge. You know, the, the pastor who I, I thought cared about me gave, uh, uh, and she's already leaving. Look how that worked out for me. Wow. Dirty diaper, any excuse we can to get out of big church, right? Our uh, pastor um, picked the sermon series and then left, right? And, and he left us with the sermon series on the book of Judges. And, and I would never say this to my pastor's face because I'm a coward, but he left us the book with some of the hardest names in the world to pronounce and people that don't even make sense, you know? 
Like today's message is on Jephthah, right? And I want you to know the only reason I said that word with such confidence is because I listened to Siri all the way here read to me, and in Judges chapter 12, Jephthah slew his brother's mother's sister in the Amorite village. You know, have you ever listened to that? And so, pastor just leaves us some really tough messages. And not only that, today's Father's Day, right? Will and so I'm pretty excited because I'm thinking, wow, we're going to have a great message on Father's Day. And the truth is, Jephthah sacrificed his teenage daughter, and I'm going, how do we turn that into something good, right? <laughs> right. All right. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to uh, start um, in the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 11. And for those of you that do our PowerPoint and all of that, I may read more verses than I gave to you earlier. And I want you to know that I may not read some of the names that are up there because they're just big words that I can't pronounce. So I might just say big word, right? And when Pastor Charlie comes back from sabbatical, all fresh, he can go back and repronounce the big words. Is that all right? All right. So we're going to look in Judges chapter 12. Some of you are worried that if I'm the fill-in, what's the real pastor like? Well, he's good. He's really good. All right. And uh, Judges chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 1. And the scripture says this, And Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. Now, didn't we hear that word last week, a mighty warrior? Remember when they talked about Gideon, it says he was a mighty warrior. Well, Jephthah the Gileite was a mighty warrior. His father, Gilean, I almost wanted to say Gilligan, and I won't. For those of you that are my age, you remember that. On a three-hour tour, remember that? All right. And so uh, Gilead his, and his mother was a prostitute. And Gilead's wife also had bore some sons. And when they had grown up, they drove, drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance from our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled his brothers, and he settled in the land of Tob. I don't really know if that's how you pronounce that, but it sounded good, right? In the land of Tob, where a group of of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. Now, a different scripture translation says that a group of scoundrels followed and gathered around him. So here's where I'm going to cheat. I'm going to read a little more because this is such a cool story. And some time later, when the Amorites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tob, and they, and they said, come, they said, and be our commanders so we can fight the Amorites. And Jephthah said to them, hey, you losers, didn't you kick me out of the family earlier? And now you're coming to me, want me to command things and fix your problems? Well, that's not really what it says, but it's pretty close. Verse 7 says, Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? And why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? And the elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Now with us, fight with us, the Amorites, and you will be the head over all of the land. You know, as we look at this scripture today, and as I think about Father's Day and try to figure out how to tie the two in, it's really impossible. So I just got to go with the points that I have, and I'll stretch it where I can to tie in Father's Day so you dads feel a little better about this day. 
The first truth I want to talk to you about, and it just seems kind of obvious to me, is that Jephthah had a dysfunctional family. His family is just dysfunctional, right? He's got a dad. His dad slept with a prostitute, and then, right, so he's the child of a prostitute, and then Jephthah's stepmother has other brothers, right? And the other brothers go, whoa, brother, you're not good enough to live with us because you're the son from another mother, right? Am I following the story right? And they say to him, so we're going to kick you out. And he goes out and he's surrounded by a crowd of scoundrels and they go out and live in the hills or the mountains. So Jephthah is a part of a dysfunctional family. Now, I don't know about you, but it's been my experience that traditionally in families, they can sometimes be dysfunctional. Would you agree or disagree? Right? All right, so let me ask that question again. Can families on occasion be dysfunctional, right? Now, Sam, it's my experience in families that there's usually one or two dysfunctional people in that family, right? Okay, and where some of you come from, maybe it's four or five folks in your family that are dysfunctional. Now, if you're here today, and this might be a litmus test for you, right? If you're here today and you would say to me, hey, Bill, you're kind of being judgmental, right? Being kind of judgy, right? My family's not really dysfunctional. Here's what I would say to you. If you're here today and you don't believe that your family is dysfunctional, it's because you are the one in the family that is dysfunctional. (laughs) Right? Right? I mean, don't we all have somebody in our family that makes it dysfunction junction? Right? I want to say this, though. Regardless of where you come from, And regardless of the functionality or the dysfunction of your family, you need to know this, that we are all children of God, right? And you may not agree with this, but I just want to be clear here. Do you realize Jesus Christ was born to a teenage unwed mother? That would be a dysfunctional family, wouldn't it? And he turned out being pretty good, you know, called the Messiah, right? Right? Worked out well for him. We may all come from something that's dysfunctional, but that doesn't mean that we're dysfunctional, right? And I don't know what you think, but it's been my experience that when we come from dysfunction, that's where we learn from, where we grow from, and where we become better from. Would you agree or disagree? And some of you would go, Bill, you have no idea how dysfunctional my family is. And I would say this to you. Yes, I do. I sit as a judge here in Williamson County. I see dysfunction every day of the week. But I have to tell you, and I want you to hear my heart, I may see dysfunction, but I don't see hopelessness. In my court, we handle very simple court cases. But on occasion, I, well, I sign the bulk of the felony arrest warrants here in Williamson County where bad stuff happens, right? I see some dysfunctionality when I see some of that stuff. There are times in my court where somebody's been arrested for a higher offense, but they have outstanding warrants in my court, so they bring them over to my court, right? They're in the orange jumpsuits, they're in handcuffs, right? And they bring them in. And do you know one common practice I've always had in my court, and I hope this makes sense to you, but if you come to my court and you're incarcerated in handcuffs, I always let you go first. And I want to tell you why. There's enough dysfunction going on in their life, and they need to know that at least when they come before a judge, that they're at least going to be respected and honored. 
you may disagree with this. I don't care how you come before me when I have my robe on. I don't see rich or poor. I don't see black or white. Don't have a heart attack. I don't see Republican or Democrat. I don't. I see a human being. And if I could just be so candid, and a judge said this at his retirement party, that every defendant that ever came before him, he always had these words, but for by the grace of God, that could be me. Right? It doesn't take much to go from being functional to dysfunctional in life, right? Dysfunction, junction. So you've got your bulletins. I know you've got some fill-in-the-blanks. There's some of you that are OCD, so I want to go through those fill-in-the-blanks so you can feel like you've completed something and you feel functional as you walk away from here, all right? We look at Jephthah's life and we see the reproach of his background. We look at his life and we see the reproach of his background. He's reproached because, have a great day at work, and thank you for taking the time to come this morning when you could have skipped church just to go to work. Thank you for being here today, right? We see the reproach of his background. By the way, I've learned as a judge, it takes little effort to say something affirming and and positive about people uh, and something kind. Sometimes we work too hard on saying things that are negative. And by the way, dads, free commercial for you here today. Happy Father's Day. But I want you for me on Father's Day to provide a gift to your family when you leave here. For each child that you have, say three or four kind things about them. They hear enough negative in the world. Say something kind about them. Like, you are beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made. Stay away from boys. See, there was some kindness in there, but a little law. Because we don't want to end up dysfunctional, right? All right, so Jephthah had a dysfunctional family and a dysfunctional background but I don't believe that it I don't believe that it defined that who, who who he was. The second truth is we see the rejection by his brothers. How many of you, without telling me the story, have ever been rejected by family members? Hurts, doesn't it? Right? How many of you have ever rejected family members? It hurts, right? But you eventually have to ask yourself the question, with those family members and the dysfunctionality that we have, where can we find some common ground? Right? Where can we work with those that we love and find that common ground? I think it's a pretty cool story because Jephthah, they they said, hey, look, you're not good enough to be in our family, right? So we kicked you out which I think is pretty cool, but then they come to him begging, please, 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 please. They're coming to begging him, come back home and command our armies. Come, Please come back home. Even though we kicked you out and your mama's a prostitute, okay, and we belittled you and made fun of you, and we, we ran you off, we run you off, right? Please, 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 please come home. Please come home and be a commander. He had a choice, didn't he? He had a choice whether he would return home and be the commander that God had created him him and made him to be. In the middle of dysfunction, he found an opportunity to make his family functional. Now, for those of you that are here today that have dysfunction in your family, even though maybe you were the one that was outcast and ostracized, 
when your family's reached back out to you, have you been willing and open to receive that? Or have you just continued to cast them aside? All right, that's the first truth. The second truth, um, which is really an interesting part of the story, I want to start reading on uh, Judges chapter 11. I think I want to go to verse 32. Can you go to verse 32? Even though I didn't plan that, no pressure. And just remember, I'm not Pastor Charlie. I'm just Judge Bill, right? And I'm not going to judge you if you can't get there. But I will judge you, and God will love you if you're already there. Bam, there you go. See? All right. So starting in Judges chapter 11, verse 32, then the Scripture says, Then Jephthah went over to fight the Amorites. All right? And the Lord gave them into his hands. That means he won. All right? He devastated 20 towns from Aran to the vicinity of some big city. And as far as uh, Abel, somewhere. And thus Israel subdued Ammon. Don't really know, but that sounds good, right? And when Jephthah returned to his home in Mitzpah, you know what that means in English, right? Williamson County, Texas. Returned to his home in Mitzpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? And dancing to the sound of the tambourines, he, she was his only child. And except for her, he had neither a son nor daughter. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes and he cried, O Lord, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wrenched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. So Jephthah is in the midst of war. He's in the midst of battle. God's blessed him all along. God's protected them all along. God's taken care of him all along. He gets into a battle that looks pretty serious. And Jephthah makes a promise to God. This is the part of the story I didn't read, but you'll get this. Jephthah makes a promise to God. He says, God, we're going to go into the battle against the Amorites. And when we do, Lord, if we win, I promise you when we return home, the first thing that walks out of my house, I'll sacrifice to you. Jephthah makes that promise to God. Now, there are a couple of thoughts that I have about this, and I I hope you you don't miss this, but if you look at the life of Jephthah, he was a man of faith, a man who followed God, a man who walked with God. Why was it when he got in his most serious battle and conflict, why was it when he got in his most serious battle and conflict he didn't trust the Lord? Right? Because if he would have trusted the Lord, he would have never said to the Lord, I'll sacrifice the first thing that walks out of my house. Now, there are some of you that would like to sacrifice your teenage daughters, and I understand that. They're blessings for you. For those of you that are parents with children, let me give you some parental advice. My wife and I are experts at this. We have been incredibly successful at raising children, and we never want to do it again. No, really, we, we did an amazing job, and it's very easy to brag about it when they leave the house and they turn out somewhat okay, Right? We have a daughter, I think, who's uh, 31, a son who's 29. They're somewhere in that vicinity. They've turned out amazing. They've married amazing, and we now have five grandkids, right? And and, uh, we often tell folks, and I've said this before, that we've had kids. Then when, when we were empty nesters, we got a golden retriever. And then after the golden retriever has come five grandkids, right? And if I could do the chronology all over again and I would be in charge, I would first have a golden retriever. 
second, I would have grandkids. Get it? There is no third, just so you know. I would never, if I could skip the kid thing all over again. All right, so my favorite quote on teenagers and how to survive teenagers is this. Mark Twain said the best thing to do when you have a 13-year-old is buy an empty whiskey barrel, okay? An empty whiskey barrel with the lid off and the knot hole on the side unplugged. You take that 13-year-old, you place them in the whiskey barrel, and you nail the lid shut, right? And you feed that 13-year-old through the knot hole on the side. And then Mark Twain went on to say, when that teenager turns 16 years of age, it's time to plug the knot hole. (laughs) And how long shall they stay in that whiskey barrel? I think until you send them off to the University of Mary Hardin Baylor. Anyway, that was a free commercial for my alma mater. The second truth that's here that I want to share with you today, and it's a serious truth, but, but Jephthah made an unnecessary promise that affected the rest of his life, and he made an unnecessary promise that affected his daughter's life. Guys, let me just say this. Jephthah made this promise because he was weak in his faith at that moment in his life, and he didn't trust the Lord. And by the way, let me just say, you're here today, maybe you're here today because you're going through a significant battle in your life. Maybe you're here today because life's sucking the life out of you and you're struggling to survive. I would just say this to you. Don't make a promise to God that you're not going to be able to keep. And by the way, Jephthah fulfilled his promise to God. He kept his promise. And his daughter lost her life. I would just say to you that we all walk through trials and we all walk through situations. But don't make promises to God that you're not willing to keep. I also think there are a couple of truths that that are here. It wasn't really necessary for him to make this vow in order to secure God's given victory. The second truth that I wrote down, and this is a little more personal for some of you men, and I would never say anything to offend women because I'm afraid of women. I am. I'm afraid of Jesus and Jill. (laughs) Jill is my wife. Jesus is God Almighty. I'm afraid of Jesus and Jill. Did you hear that, Hannah? I'm afraid of Jesus and Jill, and not necessarily in that order. (laughs) But I am, right? The second truth that I want to share with you in relation to making unnecessary promises to God, and, and, and men, this is where it gets really personal. Sometimes we sacrifice our kids for professional success. than he was his family. And man, I want you to know this. I, I know that God builds within us this thing to be successful and to provide for our family. Right? But sometimes, men, we have sacrificed our families. The old uh, preacher that I really liked years ago when I was the youth minister in Cameron, I told you a little bit about that story last week. When I was there, Jill and I had our two kids, and uh, they, they were born while, while I served there in Cameron, and, and the preacher's name was Jim Lafferty. You know those giants of faith in your life that you remember their names, right? Do you have any giants like that that you remember? And I remember, what's interesting, though, is that Jim had a wife, 
What was her name, baby? Doris Lafferty. And Doris was always perceived as being one of the most godly and Christ-like women you've ever been around. It's, it's interesting. Jill has replaced Doris. She has. And uh, Jim Lafferty was talking to me one day about things that were important. And we went out to the cemetery there in Cameron. And I wasn't really sure what we're doing, but when a really godly old guy wants you to go with him somewhere, you just get in the car and you go with him, right? You know, it's like if I said, let's go, we're going somewhere, you would just go and go, baby, I'll, bring home, I'll be home if the judge lets me come home, right? You know? And so we got out to the cemetery, and Jim's sitting on a headstone, and he's telling me a story and talking about my family and life and things that are important. And I'm thinking, it's really disrespectful that you're sitting on somebody's headstone and isn't that weird? Where you thought of that too, didn't you, Frankie? You thought he's sitting on somebody's headstone? Well, that was his daddy's headstone. And here's what he told me. He said, son, someday you're going to die. And those kids that you're raising right now, they're going to be the ones that bury you. And they're going to be the ones that come and clean your cemetery plot, put fresh flowers on it, or they're not. But you need to understand that in the end, when you die, it's not going to be the people at church that are all going to be there at your funeral that are mourning, or not all of the people that you work for. By the way, I I serve as an elected official here in Williamson County, and there's only about 550,000 constituents that I serve. I'm thinking at my funeral that 550,000 are not going to show up. Right? Well, at least half of them, the half that are part of the party that don't like me, they won't be there, right? But my point in the story is this, is someday we're all going to die, but the folks that are weeping and mourning at our funeral are going to be those that we most invested our time in. Now, if I could just confess something, could I do that? I did a good job as being a dad, but I didn't do a great job. Because sometimes I was more worried about providing than I was about loving right? Now, I've learned my lesson. I'm a grandpa. And I am a much better grandfather than I ever was a dad. And do you know why? Because I realize that all of that stuff and all of that money and all of those extra things don't make a dime of difference. Sometimes the kids just want you to get on the floor and play Barbies with them. And sometimes they just want you to get on the floor and play trucks with them. And sometimes the kids just want you to get on the floor and to wear the little princess outfit and wave the little wand. You're making fun of me, but I can wear it because <laughs> I'm the great Paul. Right? It's funny how we have different values and different views of when we're with grandkids than we were with kids. Like the other day coming home, you stop to see a son, but you really stop to see a grandchild. Right? Guys, I want to say this to you, that Jephthah made an unnecessary promise to God because he was more concerned and consumed with work than he was consumed with his family. Don't sacrifice your family for money, right? That's a free announcement. Now, some of you guys are going to go home, and today your wife's going to remind you of the message from this morning. 
and they're going to say, you didn't listen to Judge because Judge was talking just to you. And your wife's going to continue to nag you about this, you know, for a length of time. And you men, just a little godly wisdom from a, a guy who's married with kids. Just look at your wife and go, Judge was right and you are right. Just, just say it to them, you are right. And then I promise you they'll shut up about it and they'll quit nagging you. And you can move on to the next thing that they uh, want to bring up about you. See, guys, I helped you out, didn't I? JT, I'm there for you, brother. I told you I would be. All right, so the last truth that I want to uh, share with you about Jephthah is this. Jephthah was a man of faith. What's neat about Jephthah is even though the people of Israel had turned from God, they began to worship other gods, they began to follow other gods, Jephthah followed God. Now, Jephthah may have made some mistakes in his youth and made some mistakes with his own family, but in the end, he was a man that followed God. And the last truth that I want to share with you today that God really spoke to me about is it doesn't matter what you do professionally, but whatever you do and however you do that, you should understand that your faith should be the driving force in who you are. If you are a school teacher, that is your profession. Or if you work at a hospital, that is your profession. Or if you are retired, that is your profession, right? Is that a job being retired? It seems like more work to me than real work, right? Because when you're retired, the list never stops, right? Am I right? For those, any retirees here that are here? Yeah, you're, you're, isn't that right, Jerry? The list never stops. John, you want to retire someday, it's just going to be a list of things to do before you die, and you're thinking death would be better, <laughs> Right? Well, death will be better if you're a person of faith because you'll be standing before the Lord God Almighty. Simply what I want to say is this. Jephthah was a man of faith or are you a person of faith? By the way, being a judge is an elected position in Texas. You're a judge based upon whether people vote for you or not. But can I tell you one thing that no one can ever take away from me? No one can ever take away from me my faith. Because regardless of whether I'm a judge or not, I'm a Christian, right? My faith is a driving force in who I am. And I would challenge all of you with this third and final point. Jephthah was a man of faith. Are you? Is your faith the center of who you are? Someone asked me the other day, Judge, how do you balance the law with God's Word? And I often describe it this way, and I hope that you'll understand this, but God's Word guides me in who I am. It is my guide. It is my light. And God is my hope. When people stand before me, and I've got the black robe on, and I look good in it. I do want you to know that my last day in office, I have dreams. Shorts, t-shirts, flip-flops, and a robe. Bam. Going to do it. Can I do that? Is that legal? Going to do it. Is it legal? You're, you're a good attorney. You would tell me the truth. It's legal. That's my dream, my last day. I put the robe on, but when I put the robe on, my responsibility is to take the law and to apply the law to the lives of those that are standing before me. I can't take God's Word and apply that to the people that are standing before me. I have to take the law. 
But I would tell you, those that are not very familiar with our laws here in America, most of our laws were based upon another rule book. Do you know which book that was? God's Holy Word. But my faith is still who I am. When things are going well, my faith is who I am. When things are going poorly, my faith is who I am. When I win an election, my faith is still who I am. When I lose an election, I'm still Bill Gravel the Christian. When people around me die and my heart is broken, I am still a Christian. When people around me give birth and there's new life, I'm still a Christian. And I want you to know that when I'm buried, it's not my desire that people say, there lies a good judge. It's my desire for people to say, there lies a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. Being a judge is not who I am. Being a child of the King is who I am. I serve the great I am. I serve the one who loves you and who loves me. I serve the one who says, Bill, you are a mighty warrior. You serve the one who says, you are a mighty warrior. You serve a one who offers a hope and a life. And you serve a one who loves you unconditionally. You serve one who will stand with you when the others may fall. You serve one who understands your dysfunctional family and your dysfunctionality yourself. We serve a living, breathing, holy God. That's who we are. Is your faith the driving force in who you are? And maybe you're here today and you're a teenager. You're just trying to figure out who you are. And I would say this to those that are here that are young. You'll try to figure out who you are, but I want you to know you're never going to be very successful in figuring that out until you figure out who you are with Christ. Right? Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. You come to know Christ first, teenagers and children, and then all the rest of this stuff kind of works out. Trust me. Right? Let's pray together. God, I thank You for this morning. Lord, this time as we come to conclude this message, Father, it's my prayer that You would speak to our heart and show us what You desire for us to learn. God, it's my prayer that as we talk today about coming from or being a part of a dysfunctional family or a dysfunction junction, God, that You would remind us that with You, we are all functional and purposeful. And Lord, we should have joy in our heart. Lord, I thank You for Jephthah and for his life. I thank You for the good things he did and the mistakes that he made. And Lord, I thank You for Your forgiveness and grace and compassion for him. For it's in Christ's wonderful name that we pray. Amen.